Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series presented to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, William C. Vantuono. This session continues our series with the Commuter Rail Coalition that we work very closely with uh, Executive Director Kellyanne Gallagher. And our host for this one is Railway Age Executive Editor Mary Beth Luzak. Mary Beth, it's all yours. Thanks, Bill. Today we're going to be talking with four women in the rail industry who have taken four different paths. We're going to hear stories of how they got to their leadership positions that they hold today, what they're doing now to engage more women and young people to consider a railroading career and make them feel like this is an industry that's deserving of their participation. Uh, March might be Women's History Month, but women are making history in the rail industry all year round. So here with us are Lynn Hanna, who works in crafts. Lynn began her career at the Illinois Central in 1980 as a brakeman, and in 2015 became the only woman in the industry serving as Director of Operating Rules. Barbara Ward-Wilson works in banking and corporate finance. She started her career financing transportation companies at Bank Boston and joined the rail industry in 2000 when she became CFO of Helm Financial, a rail car and locomotive leasing company. She then moved on to be president of Wells Fargo Rail, and she's now president and CFO of Rail USA, a short line holding company. Kathy Rinaldi has a legal background and began her career in state government and in 2003 joined the New York MTA as Deputy Executive Director and General Counsel at MTA Headquarters. In 2018, she was named President of Metro North Railroad and the first woman to hold that position. And on the nonprofit management side is Kellyanne Gallagher. Human rights, consumer rights, political consulting were part of Kellyanne's career before she joined APTA in 2000 to run Women's Transportation Seminar and launch an association management practice. She later had a two and a half year stint at MTA headquarters as Director of Regulatory Affairs, Corporate Standards, and Benchmarking. And now, as Bill mentioned, is the founder and chief executive of the Commuter Rail Coalition. Lynn, Let's start with you. Tell us how you came to start at Illinois Central. I was called by the Illinois State Job Service. I was a construction worker and it was winter and I was laid off. So they called me and said the Illinois Central had to hire a woman. Am I interested? And that was in early 1980, February 1980. And I asked, I don't know, what kind of job is it? And they told me it was a brakeman. I had no idea what that was. So I went to the interview, asked some questions, and was hired as their token female. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about how you progressed from there and, and particularly when you, you didn't know what you were getting into to go in with. They had no training back then. I was okay. just throwing out in the yard and said, do it. And I said, do what? <laughs> um, they gave me a rule book and um, an explanation to the rule book. And I started reading it and learning how to switch out cars. We would bleed the air off of cars and switch them, you know, running switching and I also worked as a freight going from Champaign, Illinois to Centralia, Illinois. So it was all OJT, all of it was. And I progressed from there to Amtrak, went exercised my seniority, went with Amtrak. In 1990, I applied for and success, successfully got the job as a rules examiner out of Chicago for Amtrak. And there I had to learn the general code of operating rules and the various railroads that use the G Corps because most of them have their own signal system, their own special instructions, their own ways to grant what's called authority. So I had to learn, I think it was four different G-Corps railroads, plus I knew the Illinois Central, but CSX and NORAC. 
And I just really found um, a liking for operating rules and how you have to do critical thinking and apply them and find um, what I like to call wiggle room when you can. And that led me through a various, I was uh, director of rules for Omnitrax, which is a short line holding company. And then I went on to Bombardier with operations manager of their high speed rail in DC from 99 to 2000 when it was just getting started. So I took a trip on Metro North to see what um, the Acela trains would be operating on because they do operate on Metro North. And I met some folks there and they offered me a job and I went with Metro North in 2000. And I've been there ever since and just went from being senior operations compliance officer to the rules department and then named the acting director in November of 2014 and became director in 2015. Can you talk a little bit about the rules and how you learn them and and going back and forth between uh, the two sets of rules that you've had to do? I started off with things called train orders, which nobody knows what they are anymore. One of my jobs as the head brakeman was we'd go through what's called an interlocking, and my job was to walk behind the cab, hold on to the railing, put my right arm out, and grab our orders as we went through, because the tower operator would have our orders, and that's what we were going to do. And then my job was to get back into the cab, untie them, and sort them out, and make sure we had everything we needed. And that's where I learned the term clearance card train order, the other things that we had. And it really was a good foundation for understanding the background of operating rules, which all started in the 1800s. And having that foundation gave me the ability to teach the rules, especially to hardened railroad men who also started off with train orders. And the freight background, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That gave me such a good foundation. So standing up in front of a group of men teaching rules, they really can't say I didn't know what I was talking about because I did. And um, then as I progressed into passenger with Amtrak, many of the men that I was teaching were men who had taught me. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So I, you know, Metro North is not NORAC. A lot of people think we are, Northeast Operating Rules Association Committee. We are not. We have our own rule book. When I would attend the NORAC meetings, they'd ask me, why don't you go NORAC? And I'd say, why should we? You come to us. We don't go to you. So the beautiful thing about Metro North is we can set our own destiny. And we've done that with PTC rules and other rules. We've written them to be as close to the industry norm, or at least the Northeast norm as we can. But then we've also made modifications for our own operation and our own equipment. So that, in fact, the vice president, one of the vice presidents of Amtrak called me last week and was interested in some of our operating rules and how we got to where we did and that they were going to uh, certainly implement some of those. So that's quite nice when what you have created is looked at by another railroad as something they want to do. And I presented our rule book at the last GCOR meeting I attended before COVID. And some of the railroads there were, even the big boys, the class ones were kind of interested in some of the more interesting ideas that we had in our rule book. Basically, I took it and tried to make it sensible and readable and added pictures. As Lynn is saying this, I'm watching Kathy's face. It just beam with pride to have you on her team. (laughs) I've tried very hard. And I've hired a very good staff, and that's really what it is. And I've had the support of Kathy and John Kessich. So that's really helped out a lot. So that's how I got from being a brakeman on the railroad. I I had a lot of jobs. I even worked for the FRA for a few months. And then Metro in Chicago in 94 asked me to take over as their manager of operating rules. They wanted the G-Corps at Metro. And I went on there from 94 to 98 as their manager of operating rules, then Omnitrax, then Bombardier, and then finally found a home at Metro North. Barbara, let's move on to you. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about your background? Sure. So, so I was fortunate enough early in my career, I, I was 
joined a bank and was assigned to a lending team to loan money to transportation companies. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the late 1980s. And that was when the, the sort of first round of short line railroads were being created. And so um, a lot of those entrepreneurs were struggling to find a bank who understood how to finance a startup in a hundred plus year old industry. Um, so, so we were, were able to do that and, and built a portfolio. Um, we financed a series of the original Illinois Central spinoffs, so Paducah and Louisville and Mid-South Rail, um, where I met a gentleman by the name of Hunter Harrison in the late 80s. And so as we think of Hunter's impact on the industry, the, his, his first sort of senior management role at Mid-South never really came up in, in his career, but, but was time was indeed there in the late 80s. Um, Then went on and and spent 15 plus years in the equipment side of the rail industry as a senior manager um, on the finance side initially, and then as the president at Wells Fargo Rail. So so, um, my my theme has been, I got into this industry and I loved it. Um, Now, as you can imagine, as a banker, in my 20s, most of the transportation industry would take my call because there aren't many women calling um, railroad guys asking if they need money. So um, but, but really <laughs> had a passion. I, I think what, what hooked me on rail was just the ability and the, how intertwined it is with the economy. And, and so as a business person, um, the, the North American economy is so interlinked with transportation and the cost of logistics and the role that rail plays in so many fundamental businesses. So I really developed a passion because I was just intellectually um, interested in, in how many things we touched. Um, and, and so now at this stage, so I took the role I'm in now about 18 months ago. So transitioning from really being a, a vendor or service supplier to the rail industry to having a, a great opportunity to lead and help grow a company that owns two short line railroads. When I first came in, we, we needed to rebuild the entire management team. It was sort of a management change um, and was able to assemble a team that, that interestingly enough is a majority female management team. And so there aren't many um, railroads who, who, if you look at the, the executive officers are majority female. Um, and I don't know that, I think that what we tried to put together was a team of just really talented people. And, and as a result, um, my, my team is majority women, the two, Leaders are men who've been, one's been in the industry a long time, one's been in the industry a short time. And as you can imagine, my background is, is unlike um, Lynn's, who has a lot of technical expertise, um, I really bring sort of executive management skills. And so I laugh with my general managers that um, really what I, when we team up, we're sort of one plus one equals three. And so I bring a certain skill set. I complement my operating guy's skill set. And we really think of things really robustly. So, so I do believe that by bringing together a team of people with different backgrounds who sort of got to um, the managing a, a railroad along different paths, we come up with sort of you know, a diverse idea set and I think better ideas. So we're willing to try things. Um, we, we give 
business cards to all of our T&E guys and MOW guys. Because guess what? The train crews and the maintenance away guys, they meet our shippers day in and day out as we're, we're interchanging with them. Um, they're sort of our face in the market. So we, we've tried to sort of bring together a, a talented group of people from sortly slightly different backgrounds, some pretty untraditional, um, and we're really energized about sort of growing the business as a result. So it's really fun to have a, a majority women team. Um, I am every day impressed with sort of ideas and opportunities they bring to the table. Um, and so it's been a great, great opportunity for me and in, in really an industry that I love. That's great. That's great. Like you say, you don't hear too many women majority owned companies uh, and managed companies. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, Kathy, let's move on to you now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, so I'm a lawyer um, and, uh, you know, did not think when I was just starting out from law school that I would end up in a career in transportation. It just kind of worked out that way. Um, I worked uh, as a law clerk for a long time. And actually for a while, I, you know, my, my aspiration was to become a judge. So that's, that's what I thought I was going to be when I grew up. Um, but, you know, life doesn't always turn out the way that you expect. So, um, uh, at some point in my career, I ended up in the governor's counsel's office in New York, and part of my portfolio as part of that job was transportation, uh, and the MTA was actually, you know, within that portfolio as well. So it was transportation, energy, and the environment. And from that position, I moved over to MTA uh, in 2003 as the general counsel there. Um, and, you know, was largely functioning on the legal side of things, um, worked as general counsel for MTA, also as general counsel for the Long Island Railroad for a few years. And then I was fortunate enough to move back to headquarters as the chief of staff for two chairmen, first uh, Joe Loda and then Tom Prendergast. Um, and, uh, you know, was in that capacity for a while and liked it a lot because, you know, exposed me not only to sort of the policy issues of transportation, but also sort of the nitty gritty operating stuff. Um, and in that position uh, is when I first uh, met Joe Giletti, who had come up to Metro North as, as president in 2014. And he lured me from headquarters to Metro North as his executive vice president in early 2015. Um, and I was in that job for, what, I guess about two, two and a half years. And then Joe retired and I was acting president right after his retirement. And then they named me to the permanent position in February of 2018. Uh, so kind of a circuitous path, but, uh, you know, a very, a very, you know, a happy one for me. And, and I've ended up in an amazing place with amazing people like Lynn on my team. Excellent. Excellent. And Kellyanne, how about you? I started out in D.C. on Capitol Hill, of all places, and then uh, pivoted to nonprofit management. Uh, as you said in your intro, I did, I was in human rights for about 10 years and then did some consumer rights and political consulting um, worked on uh, founding a political action committee and all sorts of things that never would have spelled out a path to transportation. Mm -hmm. But uh, all those worlds merged when APTA won the contract to run Women's Transportation Seminar and um, they needed somebody with association management background and someone, they were looking for someone also who had some women's issues uh, um, management in their in their history and I and I had a fair bit of that so uh, that's how I came to be at, at APTA and start my career in transportation and there's been no looking back. 
it's been about 21 years now since then. Now that we know a little bit more about what's brought all of you into the industry, maybe you can talk a little bit about what's kept you there and what's kept you going. As I said, I, I find that the industry is, um, because we touch so many sectors in the economy, it's a very dynamic industry. And certainly having, having started in the 80s, you know, within, a, within with the first decade post-Staggers Act and the deregulation, we've really seen a lot of change. And in change, it creates opportunities um, and opportunities to really improve the service, create growth opportunities. The rail side can be really proud of the last 30 years. I mean, the business has changed tremendously. I, I think we've seen um, technology come in and make a big difference. I think that pe people think about the role of rail um, and, and the services we provide, both on the freight side, but then also the passenger side very differently. Um, and, and I really feel like we've gone through, you know, we've had the term rail renaissance. That, that's very much been the feel. And so I think because it changes, because there's new, new developments, for me, it's been very engaging. And no two years are sort of the same. I mean, you look at the map and you look at the consolidations that's occurred and, and the technology that's come in on so many fronts. I don't know. I, I just find it really interesting and very interesting people, too. You know, as we, we talked in our intros, nobody thought came out sort of of undergrad and said, hey, you know, I dream of being a railroader. Um, so different paths get different people here, but they tend to be really interesting people, um, which is, you know, I, I think people keep jobs, stay in industries because of other people. And, sure. and I, I think that for me resonates a lot as to why it's been an interesting career. Lynn, how about you? I like the complexity of the operating rules, and as I told, mentioned to Kathy yesterday, the critical thinking that it requires, the digging into the federal regulations and finding things out and what can we do and what can't we do. The one downside for me is I'm not sure railroads appreciate their operating rules department, and you can't have a railroad without it. So I have tried in my time as the director of rules here to try and uh, enlighten people as to the operating rules are critical to the operation of the railroad, which everyone knows that. The other thing that I've liked about it is the ability to meet with other railroads, see what they do. And mostly though, it's the problem solving of it and being able to stand my ground or say, okay, let's look at this. Because people, situations come up and you know, folks say, well, we need to write a rule. And I go, well, you can't write rules for people who don't comply with rules. We need to stay with what we have. That's what's kept me there. And just the, um, the diversity of it, going from the Illinois Central to all the different railroads where I've worked and the people I've met and the fun that I've had. But I really do think operating rules are fun, which sounds kind of interesting to many people. But, and the, the ability to teach people about the operating rules. You found your true calling. Yes, I, I think I have. I really do like operating rules. And, and as I said to Kathy, again, the critical thinking and the ability to resolve problems and the challenge of it, to come up to somebody and say, okay, that's a good idea, or go, no, that's not a good idea. So thank you for that. How about you, Kathy? I was sort of a reluctant lawyer. I, I went to law school, not really, you know, I was an English major and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I figured I'd go to law school and park myself there for three years and maybe I would figure it out there. Um, but I never really gravitated or, or really cared for 
uh, private practice in the law. So, um, you know, I, I really found my calling, I think, in government service. I mean, I, I love the challenges. I love the rewards. Um, you, you know, you're, you're not going to get wealthy, but, I, you know, you meet, as Lynn said, you meet unbelievable, unbelievably smart and engaged people who are, you know, committed to public service and to making things better for the world and for their communities. And I, I found that aspect of things to be enormously rewarding. And, and you know, as part of the Metro North family, um, you know, Metro North, uh, you know, along with the whole MTA really drives that part of the country, right? I mean, we are the economic engine for uh, that section of the Northeast. We carry people, to, you know, to jobs, to, to you know, personal appointments. Uh, you know, we you know we really make the region, you know, move. And to be part of that, to be part of the decisions to keep the railroads safe and reliable, to be part of the decisions that, you know, keep the workforce engaged and, and you know, healthy in the workplace and, and, you know, all of the, all of the, you know, the things that go into running a railroad. I mean, there's a different problem and a different challenge every single day. And I've got incredibly talented people around me who, you know, keep me on my toes and, and uh, you know, challenge me every day. So it's just such a stimulating, rewarding work environment that I feel just, you know, you know, it's, it's not, every day is not an easy day, um, but every day is a challenging day and every day is a rewarding day. So I just feel so remarkably fortunate to have been given this opportunity and to continue having this opportunity, you know, sort of every day that I'm, that I'm at the railroad. So it's, 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 it's been such an enriching professional opportunity. I never could have anticipated anything, you know, like this for myself, but I am so grateful. That's great. It seems like people and diversity has been one one common theme with what you've all discussed. And Kellyanne, you, you've probably seen the same thing. It, what are you What are you seeing? What's keeping you going? Well, I think it's just the the passion of everyone who I've met in this industry. Sure. They're in it because they're passionate about the job. Um, it is, you know, it is one place where you see very few egos because people are in it for the right reasons, uh, to make an impact on their communities, to move people to jobs, to, uh, you know, everything that Kathy just mentioned. And I just want to, you know, it sort of echoes something that um, I felt early in my career when I was working in human rights. I did that for 10 years, and it's another field where there is no money to be made, but um, I felt that I was enriched in so many other ways because we were truly, um, we were truly saving lives. Um, and, uh, you know, we were, we were um, making an impact that, that was real, it was measurable. And now I see that in this industry as well. We are making an impact and it's, it's you know, the, the pandemic has made me, maybe shown that in a starker relief than I had ever realized before. You know, the absence of it has just had such an impact that it underscores the value of it when, when the economy is healthy. Well, Mary Beth, I think the other element for me, which has picked up um, on some of the themes is for me, I find it really rewarding to be sort of the first female boss that a lot of my team has ever mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. And the expectations and sort of surprise from a lot of men who've frankly been in the industry for decades, who've never really worked with or for a woman, um, and who are sort of pleasantly surprised. I, I think that, you know, oftentimes you know, everyone has their own style. And I think that the history of the railroad industry, at least on the freight side, has been 
you know, very structured. It is a regulated industry. And, mm-hmm. and so we have, you know, I think many parallels that you could make to the military in terms of how things are approached. Right. And, you know, I, I think at least my style tends to be much more um, inclusive than, than what many have ever experienced before. And whether it's the maintenance away gang who's out working on the track and I hop out of the truck and go over and thank them for their work. You know, I, I think just exposing some of my team members to a diverse leadership and them learning to be comfortable and recognizing like, okay, this is no different from having a, a, a man as a boss. For me, that's been really rewarding, sort of breaking a single sex approach to an industry, I think to just humanizes it a little bit more. And, and you know, I think from, from diverse leadership, people just learn that sort of everybody's the same and, and we're all working really hard towards a goal. Um, and while we may have different backgrounds and many of us had different backgrounds, um, we, we have the same vision. And so the, for me, that's really rewarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's really how you've, you've really gotten to fit in, let's say, it, this more inclusive attitude. Have you found that to be helpful? Yeah, exactly. I, I right. think that that's really important. And I think that, you know, often people get anxious when something's different. Mm-hmm. And, and it's largely, we all felt that, a derivative of, of just, you know, I've never been in that situation before. Um, but, but I think my role is I think about, you know, who do we hire and how do you integrate more women into the industry? Um, the more comfortable people get through experience, the more um, embracing they'll be of sort of women in, in a lot of different roles, which, which right. has sort of happened slowly. Sort of like Lynn said, they, they sort of needed a woman back in those days. <laughs> now, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if the teams just look a little bit different in the next generation? Certainly what, what has probably helped keep everybody in their positions too is in help with retention is mentorship and having a mentor. I'm hoping that you can all talk a little bit about that. Maybe Kellyanne, you can, you can start us off. I was not surprised, but pleased to see that Kathy and I shared the same mentor, um, Mr. Joe Deletti, <laughs> who uh, for different reasons, different parts of our career. Um, Kathy, why don't you, why don't you, explain why Joe is your mentor. I guess, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not surprised, but um, give a shout out to Joe Gilletti. Sure. Um, so, so the shout out I would give to Joe is, um, you know, he, I, I'm following in his footsteps as Metro North's president, and he joined Metro North at a particularly difficult time. I mean, Metro North had had a series of very serious operational incidents over the course of 2013 and into early 2014. And, uh, uh, you know, culminating in, you know, federal uh, FRA Operation Deep Dive and a blue ribbon panel that Tom Prendergast convened on safety and a lot of soul searching at the agency and, uh, you know, and, and and trying to really understand what went wrong and how to make it right. And, and, and Joe was brought in and really led that effort to kind of refocus and re-engage the railroad on what was important on, you know, on safety and reliability and, and, and treating your people well and, and building, you know, adequate training resources and making sure that employees received proper training, you know, efficiency testing as, as, as you know, Lynn will attest to, and, and just the basics of railroading and, and uh, you know, what it takes to be a safe railroad. And, uh, you know, had I not seen Joe in action, 
uh, during those years. And, and, you know, the message that he reinforced as, as he brought Metro North back with the Metro North team, uh, you know, I don't think I could do the job that I'm doing now. I really feel, you know, what I know about, you know, making a railroad safe and, and uh, you know, and, and what our priorities and our values need to be. So much of, so much of that came from, from watching Joe during those years that, uh, you know, I followed him and, and, and observed him as, as his executive vice president. I first encountered Joe when I took over the commuter rail portfolio at APTA. And Joe was at that point chair of the commuter rail committee uh, at APTA. And, um, you know, I knew next to nothing. He invited me down. He was at South Florida then. He invited me down to shadow him and senior leadership team for a week. And, um, you know, from the second I stepped foot in the, the tri-rail offices to now, I feel like I, I continue to learn from him and from others that he has put me in contact with. And so, you know, hands down, he is the, he is the person who has most shaped my career in, in this industry. And, and I'm, I'm honored to count him as one of the founders of the Commuter Rail Coalition as well. Kathy, I think you know, Lynn, you have a, um, a, a, a long-term relationship, knowledge, business relationship, knowledge of Lynn's mentor. Um, did you happen to see what John Kessich had to say about Lynn? I did not see what John had to say about ah, Lynn. Ah, okay. Yeah, so I, um, when, when I saw that Lynn had identified John as one of her mentors, I reached out to John and said, hey, you know, you want to you wanna give us a few words of, um, of what Lynn has meant to your team? And, um, and so I'll just read it because I've got it in front of me. So uh, John, for, for listeners, is um, a senior vice president at Metro North Railroad, soon to retire. Well, this is what John had to say about Lynn. Over her long railroad career, Lynn has worked long and hard to establish herself as a subject matter expert in railroad operating roles. This is a notable accomplishment by itself, but it is especially impressive for a woman in a male-dominated industry. Lynn has worked tirelessly to ensure Metro North has operating rules that go beyond FRA compliance and set the standard for safe train operations in a busy commuter rail environment. Kudos to Lynn. That's high praise from John. I'm honored and humbled by those words. They mean a great deal to me. Thank you. If I could jump in and, and, and show Lynn some love too. I mean, she has really, you know, she, you know as, as somebody who has had such the diverse background that she had, uh, she's just such a pioneer at Metro North and she inspires so many of us, um, you know, no matter what our background and what we do, uh, you know, Lynn, Lynn, you know, just sort of sets the standard for operational excellence and we are just going to miss her terribly and we are just so proud of everything she's accomplished at the railroad. Lynn, can you tell us a little bit about your, your mentor? Well, John Kessage, I knew John um, when I was senior operations compliance officer and operating roles, but John was mechanical, so I didn't have much involvement with him. Then I was um, in the operating roles department, and John became senior VP of operations. And I spoke with him the weekend after one of our incidents and asked him if there was anything he wanted me to tell the crews, the T&E crews, I was teaching a rules class that day, and he said, yes, tell them we're going to be okay. We're going to get out of this just fine. And that meant a great deal to me that he was so positive, even though we'd been through some pretty rough times. 
and I didn't hear him blame anybody. He just said, we're going to be okay. And that was a real leadership moment for me. And John has been very patient with me as I have some very strong ideas about things. Uh, he has taught me a lot about leadership. And most of all, I just think his kindness and willingness in including people, everybody, uh, that has really meant a great deal to me. I will miss John a lot. And so you have done the same thing in your department too, I would imagine. I try to. I think I have. I've hired people from other railroads so that we had the diversity of different ideas. The term, you know, hybrid vigor, I believe in that. I, my, my team, we can always talk, yell, get mad at each other. That's fine. That's okay. And I learn a lot from them because I hired a real team of railroad operating rules professionals. I have a mixture of freight, which I think is very important for a commuter railroad to have because we do run freight trains on our property. I have train dispatchers, which you really need, and then engineers, conductors, so we have a real diverse background of people in our operating roles, and they're not all Norakians, <laughs> you know, Norak. We have some G Corps, and um, one of them came from Florida. He operated, I think it was CSX down there. He was a dispatcher down there. So I've been able to hire a really good group. And I'm very grateful for that. And that's one of the reasons the department has been so successful. And Barbara, how about you? You know, I, I've been listening to, to Lynn and, and the dialogue. And I think it's interesting as we evolve. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more junior people that Lynn has touched in her career who she's the mentor for. So, you know, we sort of think of it from our own scope of who are our mentors and, um, you know, oftentimes you meet them sort of early or mid stage of your career. And, and typically we all try to absorb some of the best traits of our mentors. I mean, there's a reason why they're important to us. Um, early in my career, I met a gentleman by the name of Tom Power, who's now retired. But Tom at the time was the CFO of a startup called Wisconsin Central Railroad. And Tom went on to be the CEO of that railroad before it was sold. Um, but he, even in the early 80s, had a very diverse management team. His legal counsel was a woman. He, he had sort of a very diverse pool of talented folks he put together for the startup. Um, and he taught me a lot about leadership. And I think it was the important, he valued his team. He valued differing opinions, similar to what Lynn was just talking about, that as you bring people together, um, you don't necessarily have to all agree, but, but you have to listen and respect. And then, you know, sometimes as a leader, you have to make the hard call. And, and I think he, he, he taught me that, that, that it's important for input. But, but at some point, um, you, as a leader, you have to be willing to <clears throat> make the decision that's necessary. And, and so I do think as our careers go along, we, we look to folks who we help um, develop our own styles from. And then I feel very strongly that it's important to be available and to mentor um, folks coming into the industry. And, and so throughout my career, um, both at Wells Fargo Rail and then here, we've had and I've put in place summer internship programs as an opportunity to expose um, undergrad students to the rail industry and how dynamic and energizing a career can be. Um, and have really worked to bring in um, 
young women into the industry, um, sharing with them the energy, the excitement, and the numerous different career paths that are in, available. Um, and that can be fun. So, so I do think the mentorship, um, you know, I don't know where it is where you sort of pivot from being the mentee to being the mentor. I don't know that it's like a conscious date, but I'm sure for all of us, that's sort of developed and we can each think of folks that we're now mentoring. And I guess, you know, you try not to count the years that you're in an industry, but they seem to add up. Uh, but, but I do think it's a great feeling um, to have the, the ability to sort of empower the next generation. It's a struggle, I think, to try to attract more people to the transportation industry. It's not, more women, I should say, to the transportation industry. It's not necessarily a, a career that women consider as they're sort of weighing their options. Um, so I, I do feel sort of in the spirit of mentoring or just in the spirit of trying to encourage people to open their horizons and, and, and consider this as something that they might want to do. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm in the position that I'm in. Um, because, you know, as the first women, women president of Metro North, I, you know, I, I hear that a lot from women who are at various stages of their career who, you know, say, I never would have thought this would have been possible when I joined the railroad to see a woman at the head of the railroad. And it really kind of makes people think about advancing through this industry in a different way. And it makes people realize that really, you know, anything is possible. Um, and, you know, if you're lucky and work hard and, and take advantage of take advantage of the opportunities that are offered to you, you know, really, you know, anything, anything is possible in this industry. And, and it's, it's enormously challenging. And, and, you know, the opportunities really are just vast. And, and uh, you know, and I do feel like I have a responsibility in my current position to sort of, you know, sp uh, spread that word and, and, and preach that gospel and, and, and encourage more women to, to follow my footsteps. Right. And you've got some initiatives at Metro North that you've been working on uh, to draw people in and, and engage and empower women as well as uh, young professionals. Maybe you could discuss yeah, that I mean a little. Yeah, we've tried. I've tried to do some of that. I mean, unfortunately, because of, of COVID, so much is more difficult now. So, you know, we had wanted to do targeted recruiting for women and, 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 and you know, girls high schools and trade programs. And, you know, that's obviously become much more difficult because of, of the pandemic. And, you know, and it's just difficult to get together in groups, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But, you know, prior to that, and, and you know, doing the best that we can during the pandemic, um, you know, we've tried to put together, you know, uh, networking opportunities for women on the railroad, um, you know, about, oh, I think almost three years ago now, I kicked off a quarterly women's book club, um, where we, you know, just sort of talk about different issues, you know, workplace issues, uh, to a certain extent, but also, you know, books of women's history, biographies, just, you know, in, you know, things of interest to the women of Metro North. And, you know, the, the nice and very rewarding thing about it is that it really is a cross section of the railroad everybody participates. So you have, you know, women from the represented workforce, executives, and, and really everything in between. And it's been a really wonderful way for us to be able to sort of engage and discuss and network. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of really good, you know, feedback from that. And, uh, you know, also uh, about two years ago, the women engineers on the railroad kind of banded together to form a women's engineers sort of affinity group, which has been a really great way for them um, to learn from each other and, you know, mentor each other. You know, you had women at really all stages of their career at the railroad. Um, so some of the younger women learning from the older women, hearing about work-life balance, how was it when you were raising your family? It's really been, 
you know, really provided a great opportunity for women to learn from each other, not only professionally, but personally uh, in terms of advancement in their careers and, and you know, in the railroad industry specifically. So, uh, so that's also been a, you know, a great initiative. And, and, and again, we're trying to be a little bit more um, purposeful in terms of providing opportunities to, to draw more women in from the outside as we start to, to, to ramp up on some hiring. It's, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, Lynn can speak very eloquently to the challenges of starting out in a railroading career as a, as a woman. I, you know, I think it's maybe a little bit better now, but I think it really is a challenge given some of the physical nature of the work and, you know, the 24 seven nature of the industry. Um, but we're doing what we can to try to make those careers, you know, more, um, appealing and, uh, you know, and, and the kind of thing that, uh, you know, a young woman might consider in terms of making her career. Sure. And, and, and it certainly has grown. Um, uh, Kellyanne and Barbara are both evaluators for Railway Ages Women in Rail program. Now it's in its fifth year. And that recognizes not only a, a com continued commitment to service in freight and transit, government and supplier sectors, but also a demonstration of leadership and collaboration, innovation, all things that we've touched on today. And uh, this past year, we had 24 honorees from a field of more than 60. And it's it's been incredible. And Kellyanne, maybe you can talk a little bit about that process and your philosophy in terms of being an evaluator? Well, I, first of all, it's, it's an honor to be, um, to be asked to evaluate other women in rail for their contributions because I feel like I, I well, it's humbling. Let me just put it that way. It's, it's humbling to be asked to, to, um, to have this task and um, I am honored to share it with Barbara, who I who I've worked side by side with over the last now four. Now we're going into our fifth year. Um, there are some years that we are just overwhelmed by the caliber of the nominees. Yeah, and what strikes me, and first of all, you know, kudos to Railway Age because this will be the fifth year. So this isn't just something that. Um, you know, is caught up in the latest wave of, of, of themes. I mean, I think Railway Age has been a leader in promoting women. Um, and frankly, probably like 25 years ago, they did an article on, on women in railroading and, and I was profiled, gosh, I think I was about 28 at the time, but it was talking about, you know, different influences. But I think the message that strikes me the most every year is just how many women are in very different roles in the broad industry. And so mm -hmm. Kellyanne's network and my network are very complementary. There's not a lot of overlap, but it, that touches a lot of different companies, a lot of different roles. So we have women engineers, we have women in management, we have um, women in T&E roles, we have lawyers, we have um, you know, so many different roles. We, we've had conductors on Amtrak. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it really is invigorating to see how many, sort of where our tentacles lie and, and how many women are in the industry. Um, and I think, you know, honestly, the, the, the class ones, at least on the freight side, have such visibility. And, and the opportunity that BNSF has given Katie Farmer as a leader of now a class one freight railroad is amazing. Kathy, your role, I mean, the, the visibility and the importance of you as a leader at Metro North is phenomenal. And, and so you're touching people that um, you don't even know about because they read and they say, hey, women run these very large businesses. And, and so I am um, honored 
to, to have this role each year, um, Kelly and I take it very seriously. We do applaud the nominators, and, and I think it's a mix. I think it's important to say that both men and women nominate women for the Railway Age um, Award. It's really energizing and exciting, and I do feel like there, there's certain takeaways when I reflect on what I've done. Um, the Railway Age Women Awards are, are one of the, the most important things that I do for our industry to acknowledge and give visibility to the many talents that aren't always on the cover. So, so again, it, it really is incredibly rewarding, frankly, as a lot of volunteer efforts really are. That's great to hear. Thank you so much. Uh, Kathy, you know, are you finding uh, that there are more women in the room now than when you started in the industry? We're talking about more women getting involved, but what does it mean to you now as the, as the first woman president at Metro North um, to be one of them and, and particularly in your leadership role? So it really depends on the meeting, which is sort of interesting, right? I mean, in those kind of hardcore operations meetings, it's still mostly men in the room. There's just no two ways about that. Um, I think that there, you know, in the really big meetings, there's certainly more women, but it's it's still a struggle. I mean, if you look at the Metro North workforce, it's only 13% women, um, which is a low, which is a shockingly low number. And I think we're doing a pretty good job of attracting women. We're hiring, I think, roughly 20% of the women we hire, of the people we hired last year were women. So we're hiring at, you know, well above what the current, you know, rate is. Um, but retention is a real challenge. So that's something that we really need to work on is, is retaining the women that we're able to get in the door. Um, so, so yes, in certain meetings, there are more women in the room, but not in as many meetings as I would like. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's one of the challenges of this role, uh, that I, I do feel like I, I bear that responsibility to try to, you know, attract more women to the Metro North workforce. And, and now I'm hoping that if we're turning the corner on COVID and we're able to do more hiring that, you know, we can, or I can recommit myself to that effort and try to, you know, draw more women in at all levels of the organization. Cause I really do think it's important. I think it improves decision-making. I think having that diversity of opinion and, and point of view, I think is incredibly important. I think it makes for a much healthier organization. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to uh, make some progress in that regard. Um, I would say that my number two, my executive vice president is a woman uh, and she's a, a you know, another incredibly accomplished person, Sue Doring. Um, so, you know, I'm very lucky to have her as part of the executive team. And, uh, you know, and we can, you know, we've got a lot of other incredibly talented women all throughout the organization. And uh, I'm happy to create an environment in which they can thrive and grow. Barbara, what do you think, to build off that is, what do you think the industry can do to attract more women uh, to a job in railroading? You know, I think education is is the first start in, in visibility and how do we communicate that there actually are some women who've who've had success. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I talk to younger people and I think, um, you know, share the knowledge of really that this is a business that that impacts and, and touches a lot of the economy. And I think some folks find that interesting. Um, as a short line railroad, um, most of our TNE folks were hiring that have been trained on other railroads. And, and so we don't have the ability to sort of develop big training programs when we have a railroad that has you know, 30 people in the field. Um, so I do think that um, you know, some of, a lot of the larger companies ha- have made the initiative, um, but, but those jobs in the field are hard and, and they're physically challenging. 
um, and they are, you know, they ask a lot in terms of the personal commitment and expectations of availability and whatnot. But I do think there are a lot of different roles and, and when um, decisions are being made, part of getting more and more women in, I think is really a function of education and, and how do we get the knowledge into the community. And so we do see, you know, it's interesting as I look at some of the young women and we just hired a young woman straight out of undergrad, her dad was a railroader. And so she, you know, many people and many people on my team are, are members of multi-generational railroad families. They grew up and had knowledge of what the railroad meant. They knew what the commitment was typically that their dad had. Um, and so she's all energized because she comes from a railroad family, is very proud to be the next generation. I think she's either third or fourth generation. Um, and, and so I do think that, that that's probably where we're going to have the quickest success is finding legacy um, young women who understand the industry and, and sort of have that bug that they understand that it's a really important industry. And Lynn, what would you tell women either just starting out or perhaps looking to move in a new career direction and it applies to young people too about a career in this industry? The railroad's been very good to me and I agree with Barbara that it is, if you look at it from the transportation or maintenance away side or mechanical side, it is, it's very uh, rigorous and physically demanding and it can be demanding on your time, particularly freight, and that you can do this. Don't let the rigorous of the job set you aside and think that you can't do it. You can. I think, I agree with Barbara and Kathy that women just aren't being educated, and they even think of the railroad. People just don't even think of the railroad as a career, unless, as Barbara pointed out, it's been a family history. Kathy, I know, I believe there's been an initiative or there will be more initiatives to go into the schools and try and get more people and women involved in it. But I think people just don't think of it. I never would have thought of the railroad if I hadn't got that call, you know, 41 years ago. I never would have thought of it. I was studying to be an apprentice carpenter. You know, yeah, I guess I would just encourage um, leaders in this industry to work on the, the education component. So we shouldn't expect young talent to sort of have to come find us. All of us have a responsibility to sort of communicate our enthusiasm. I mean, I regularly say, I love this job. This is the best job I've had in my whole career working with my railroad team and growing our business and partnering with our shippers. And it's very, very rewarding. Um, and, and I do think that you know, in this age, as we look to the next decade, where maybe the conclusion will be not a four-year degree is what everyone needs. Um, people can have an incredible career in the railroad industry and frankly, retire comfortably um, because of how the benefits are structured. And, and, you know, I guess if I'd known that when I was 20, maybe I wouldn't have to wait till I'm 65 to get medical insurance. Um, so I do think that the career path is very much here in railroading, that it's not a job, it's a career. And, and as we do outreach and we think about the next generation and the opportunities they're going to want to have for a career, I just think we all should think through how do we communicate the energy here? How do we communicate that this is really interesting? You, when Lynn talks about the different companies she worked with within her career, they're all different. Um, and, and it's not just a stoic, you, you, you pick one path and, and that's what you do for the next 30 or 40 years. You have a lot of different experiences ahead of you. And, and as I said, it, it, it can be very rewarding and, and very enjoyable. And, and 
that's what most people want from a career. I think it was John who said something about how, uh, you know, railroading isn't a career, it's a vocation. And I actually really agree with that. And, uh, you know, I don't know that a lot of people can say that about what they do. And I think that's the message that, I, you know, that it can be a really powerful way of attracting people to this industry because it really does feel like a vocation. I mean, your railroad family is your family and the work that you do, uh, you know, to, to carry people every day is, is really, you know, it's that passion that you have for what you do. And I, I think people sort of hunger for that in terms of, you know, what they want to do with their lives. And I think that to, to Barbara's point, I think that we all have a responsibility to let people know that railroading can be that kind of career for you um, and to, you know, attract more people, men and women, um, to, to a career that can be a vocation. Because I think, you know, something like that is, 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 is pretty rare and pretty wonderful. Barbara and Kathy bring up some very valid points. I like Barbara's point about the four-year degree. I don't have a college degree, and I've managed to go from being brakeman to where I am now. And it, I think I just, um, it's willing to take chances, and people need to understand that you can have a very good career without having that four-year degree. So thank you, Barbara, for bringing that up, and also for bringing up what a great retirement you can have. I'm looking at the retirement package I'm going to get, and I don't know anywhere else I could have gotten that kind of a retirement package other than the railroad. So that is something that I think young people need to be aware of. And Kathy brought up the valid point about it being a vocation. It is a vocation. Some of us, you know, we've devoted our, you know, every waking hour and sleeping hours to the railroad, and that's how it is, uh, and it's okay. I don't mind that one bit. Yeah, and I want to thank, thank Kathy, you. Barbara, and Lynn for sharing their stories today. It's, it's been enlightening to explore how careers in rail have emerged from very different tracks. Ha ha. And <laughs> having this time with women at the top of their field is a rare treat. And of course, I have to thank Railway Age for their continued partnership with the Commuter Rail Coalition and for making Women in Rail the focus of our latest joint podcast. And Lynn, congratulations on your imminent retirement. Thank you. Sounds like a career well spent. I, I, I think so. Thank you very much. And I appreciate this opportunity and getting to meet all you lovely ladies and learn about what you've been doing. Thank you. Thank you all for participating today. Thank you very much.